There once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with the citizen there, who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, All these farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. So today we start a brand new series called Prodigals. And some of you might have recognized that story. And it's the story of the prodigal son. Whether you grew up in church or not, many people have heard that story before. But here's the thing I want to do in this for the next couple of weeks. Today, I actually don't want to talk about that story. We're going to cover that in the next two weeks. Today, I want to set the scene for why that's not the only story you need to know. Because you see, Jesus, when he told that story, it was in conjunction with two other stories that illustrated one point. And many times when we take that story in isolation, we miss the bigger picture. 
And so today, I'm going to talk about the other two stories, and that's going to set a foundation. That's going to show us where, where we're going to be going in the next uh, couple weeks, where we're going to learn who God likes and what God is like. But before we get there, I want to start with a question this morning, and it's this question. Who's your type? Who's your type? And for many of you, you just went to a place, especially if you're single, you're like, well, they need to be attractive, first of all. They got to look good. They, some of you are like, they got to have money, right? They can't, you know, like, some of you are like, oh, they got to have these specific features. They got to have this. They got to have their life in order. If you were to ask my wife, Annie, years ago, you would be surprised how she would answer this question. She would say, tall, blonde, and a baseball player. And this is what she got. An average height man, black hair, looking to do ministry and wishes he was better at pickleball. Okay, can we take that picture off, please? All right, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But that's not this type of message. See what I did there? Uh, for, with the, when, I, when I want you to answer that question, the way I want you to think about it is, who's your type? Who would you hang out with? Who is the type of person you would invite over for dinner? Who you would want to spend time with? Who you would want to join your small group if you're in a small group? For who is the type of person who you would be okay associating with, being seen with, who you could be friends with, right? For some of you, it might be like, they got to root for the same team as me. They got to be a UGA fan for some of you, right? They can't, there's no, they can't be a Florida fan, no way. But especially as a Florida State fan. Um, but they've got to like the same political candidate or the same side of the political spectrum. They They've got to uh, like the same thing about culture or the same, they got to watch the same types of shows. Now, none of you would say that about other people and be like, oh, I can only hang out with those types of people. But subconsciously, we all have a type. Well, on the flip side, we all have a type. We also have what's called a anti-type, a type of person who you would not want to be associated with, a type of person who annoys you. Or when you see one of their posts, you should be, you're like, I really shouldn't follow them because they just anger me. The things they post, you're kind of like, they disgust you. You're like, I would never, ever hang out with them. They have a different style of parenting than me. I don't agree with their parenting style. I don't agree with their work ethic. It's this type of person you're like, nope, I'm probably never gonna be friends with that type of person. In fact, because of that, you keep them at a distance. And when you see that type of person uh, who annoys you at the grocery store, what do you do? Different aisle, please, thank you very much. Or some of you just leave right out, right? Because you're like, I just, I, they just drive me nuts. And if you're a follower of Jesus, man, we all have a type as well. And the thing is with us, for many of us, even myself, our anti-type, sometimes we attribute as God's anti-type. We think if I don't like them, well then of course God doesn't like them. So that leads us to the next question. Who then is God's type? Who is actually God's type? Who would God want to spend time with, right? Who would God want to invite over for dinner? Who does God want in his small group? I mean, I want to know that question. Don't you want to know the answer to that question? For, for many of us, if I were to go around this room, we would all have a different answer. But I feel like most of us would come to the conclusion that would be the model Christian would be God's type. And I don't know what image comes to your mind, but when I hear those terms model Christian, you know who comes to my mind? Ned Flanders. If you ever watched the show, The Simpsons, I was not allowed to watch it growing up. So as soon as I got to college, I'm like, give me all the episodes, right? And Ned Flanders, I always like, wait a second, this guy, this guy's like a model Christian. And the author, the writers of the show actually said that's who, what they thought a Christian is like. And of course, the anti-type of Ned Flanders was who? 
Homer Simpson, and they were neighbors. And Homer would, ooh, would drive Homer nuts when he would look through the window and they would all be holding hands, sitting at dinner, a well-manicured table, a beautiful full three-course meal dinner, praying together. And whenever Ned Flanders would get upset, how would he curse? Flippity-floppity, right? Like, that's how he cursed, right? Ned Flanders would never watch a mature-rated show. Ned Flanders was always reading his Bible. He would go to church every single week. Homer, the exact opposite. And the writers told, say that they wrote Homer as the average American dad. Isn't that interesting? And so for many of us, we would say, oh yeah, definitely Ned Flanders is who I think about. The model Christian is who God's type. You might even look at me and be like, oh, of course pastors, Raul, like you or church staff are, are God's type. Oh, you know who's really God's type? Missionaries. Those people have it all together. They are so selfless. They, go to, they give up everything to go to other countries. They are definitely God's type. But what if I told you That's actually not true. What if I told you that God's type is actually different than who you think it is? And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to shift the moral paradigm of everybody who was alive when he was alive. And when he came, oh, he messed some people up. He came to change the filter for which they view the world. This paradigm of how they view who is God's type. And the way he would do it was through parables. And I love how Jesus would do it because parables are made up stories that illustrate a spiritual truth. Now you're like, Jesus, why couldn't you just tell us? Why couldn't you just say, here's what God's type is. Here's who God likes and what God's, what God is like. But we've done that. You've all heard information. Does information stick? If I were to ask you, what was the last thing I spoke on in every single part about my sermon, would you be able to tell me? I wouldn't even be able to tell you, right? But we remember the stories. Some of you remember the story I told in the last message series, which is all about blueberry pie. And I just jogged all your memory. Remember that? For those of you who are here and how embarrassed I was by that. But we remember stories and stories go straight to our hearts, which is why we love media, shows, movies, because they tell a story. And that's how we, Jesus, that's what Jesus would use to help us remember. So we're going to look at these three parables, specifically two this morning of, the, of these parables that Jesus would tell to illustrate and demonstrate who God's like and what God was like. And essentially to answer this question, who is God's type? So to do that, we're going to look at what the author Luke wrote in his gospel And Luke, he thoroughly investigated the life of Jesus to give us a historical account of everything Jesus did. And before we get into the parables, there's one statement. These two initial verses explain the setting we're in. And here's what he said. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, speaking of Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the scene we're in. The tax collectors, I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, all believed God's type were godly. They were the Jews, the chosen people. Those were God's type and only those people who followed God's law and were essentially almost pretty much perfect who followed God's law to the T would be included as God's type. And so yet there's Jesus who's not spending time with people. In fact, these people, it says, were drew, who drew near to Jesus. They were enamored by Jesus, specifically the tax collectors and sinners. Now, when I read that, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Why are tax collectors separate from sinners? I would have included them. Oh no, tax collectors were a whole nother breed of people. Oh my goodness. These were generally men who had purchased the right from the Roman government to tax their fellow countrymen. Just think about that. And they were wealthy. So which means they added 
to the taxes they needed to collect. So these tax collectors were despised because they were taking advantage of their own people. And so they were, there was a separate category for them. But then we've got the sinners. And the sinners encompassed anybody who lived a immoral life according to Jewish law, to God's law. But here's the crazy thing. You know who else would be included in that? Anybody with a disability, anybody with a sickness, because the response would be, oh, you must have done something, something sinful. Or someone you know, your family member did something sinful, so you were considered sinners. Both those groups of people were considered unclean at the time of the day back then. And so the fact that Jesus is sitting there associating himself with them. In fact, it says he eats with them. And back then, eating with someone was a sacred thing. Having a meal with someone, sitting down and having a meal was a sacred moment where you would say, I accept you and you accept me. And so this is why the religious leaders were so upset with what Jesus was doing because he was a rabbi. He shouldn't have been associating himself with those who were unclean. So then Jesus, he continues, verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And at that moment, everyone listening would be like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's what I would do. 99, they're safe. The sheep is lost. It's alone. And sheep cannot fend for themselves. Sheep are dumb creatures. They needed a shepherd. They needed a guide. And so the fact that this sheep is alone is a big deal because it didn't know how to take care of itself. No one is ever afraid of a lost sheep. No one's like, oh, lost sheep. It's going to attack me. Booga booga, right? Never like that. These sheep are very gentle creatures. It's not like a coyote. Like if you, in my neighborhood, whenever there's a coyote out at night, the, the Facebook group goes crazy. And so for this, it's like, no one's afraid of a lost sheep because the sheep needs protection. So Jesus um, continues. He says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So again, they would have been nodding. Yes, I would have done the same thing. The 99 are safe. Let me go find the lost sheep. And when I find him, yeah, that's what I would do if I was a shepherd. I would, you can't guide one sheep. You have to physically pick it up, carry it on your shoulders as if it's your child and walk it home. And then you call everybody and celebrate. We found the lost sheep and everyone is excited because this sheep is no longer alone. And it's so fascinating what Jesus does here because he's telling us this story And even this moment is so different than every other religious leader back then. See, when you would show up to the temple, they would open the law and the prophets like this, and they would would read straight from it with no explanation. So if you weren't schooled at that time and you weren't educated, you wouldn't understand what you were reading. So the fact that Jesus is trying to illustrate these truths, is that's why we speak the way we speak today. We take old truths and we modernize them to make them relevant for your life to help you understand what God was like and who God likes. And then, so he tells this parable. And then this next statement is where we find his thesis statement for these three stories and also for our series. But let me tell you, this broke people. This upset people. This changed the way everyone viewed who God likes. He says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who do not need to repent. Bomb dropped. 
minds were blown. See, here's why this was such a big deal. He's saying that the people he's talking to, the tax collectors and the sinners are God's type. He's saying the, the heaven rejoices. Heaven goes crazy when the lost sheep comes back to God. Now, don't hang, get hung up on the word repent. We're going to talk more about what that word means next week. But the simplified version is turns to God. That's it. And when one sinner repents, when one sinner turns to God, heaven rejoices. And Jesus, without skipping a beat, doesn't even ask questions, doesn't even respond to how people are feeling at that moment, keeps going. And he continues with the next parable. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So same point illustrated in a different way. There's a woman who has 10 coins and loses one and goes crazy and searches for it because she needs to find it. He moves from sheep, which some people would relate to, to money, which everyone can relate to and knows the value of money. Now for us today, we're like, who cares? It's a coin. You don't need to turn up the house for that or go bring everybody involved and get everybody helping you. Well, the, the Greek word Jesus uses here is the word drachma, which means a day's wages. So this lady only has 10 day, worths of, day, of wages, 10 coins. So she's not wealthy. So the fact that she loses one means what? Oh, She's got to find that coin. She needs that coin. Think about it in today's terms. Imagine losing your wedding ring. Now, this example was made before we lost my wife's wedding ring on Friday. So this is a real example now. Ooh, pray for that. Um, but imagine you lost your wedding ring. What would you do? Oh, there's no shame. You're going through trash. You're going to invite, you're going to post on social media so everyone helps you find it. You are going to find that ring. Yes, it's replaceable, but not the, the memoir, the significance behind it. That's the kind of value Jesus was placing in this parable. <clears throat> and then when you find it, you make sure everyone knows you found it, right? You want everyone to celebrate with you. And then he says it again. The same thing happens in heaven when one sinner combats, combats to God. That angels of God, so it's not just heaven, it's all of the angels of God and God himself rejoices. So you can imagine at this point, the religious leaders are so angry. They're like, what is Jesus trying to do? See, the religious leaders believed that God only loves godly people. That's what they believed. But see, Jesus, Jesus came to do something different. He came to change the paradigm of which they viewed the world, the grid on how they view people and how they viewed even God. And he came to illustrate and demonstrate what God was like. And he was changing their God box. This box that they had put every single person in, tax collectors, sinners, godly people, people who follow the law, the nation of Israel, any Jew was automatically included in the God box, but anyone who sinned was not included in their God box. And here's the thing with Jesus. This is what he always did. But the problem is many people, even today would associate Jesus as every other belief system. Oh, Jesus taught the same things, right? Self-denial, serve others, love everyone. And that's how you live a happy life. It's actually not true. Jesus came to expand our thinking when it came to that. He didn't say you do that to earn a happy life, to earn God's love. No, he flipped the script and he said, he doesn't just say love everyone. He doesn't just say you do you for the sake of being happy. No, he says, 
You don't do that to earn God's love. You don't earn that for acceptance. Instead, you do that from God's acceptance. The grace he shows you, you need to in turn show that to everyone else. It's this new belief system. Instead, God's acceptance is what makes us whole. Basically, what Jesus was trying to say is God loves found people, but God also loves lost people. He, loved, he includes everyone in his God box. Jesus would include the tax collectors, the sinners, and, his, and expand it to include them in his God box, both the found and the lost. And the Pharisees were not having it. But here's the thing. That wasn't just for them back, back then. That's also for us today. Because many times we put God in a box. We think he only likes a certain type of person. But Jesus wants to expand our God box to include everyone, to include people who we normally include, would count as God's type because God does. So maybe the question I need to ask all of us today is, who's in your God box and who isn't? Who do you think God likes and who do you think he doesn't? Have you already decided what God is like and who have you already decided that God does not like? Because we all come to the table with a God box, don't we? We all come to the table and sometimes we believe this and sometimes we don't. That God loves found people and God loves lost people. But here's the thing. He loves you and he actually loves them too. And for many of us, whether you follow Jesus or not, you've got God in a box. You've got an idea of how God operates, how he responds to people, who he loves and who he doesn't. Let me illustrate this in a different way. A couple years ago, my sons, my oldest sons, Colin Griffin, started their first job. And it was at Five Guys. Mm, such good burgers, right? You know, and I was so excited. I was like, their first job, they're learning responsibility. They're going to earn some income. They're going to learn the value of money. And they're not just going to rely on me for the rest of their life. That's the goal, right? <laughs> and so their first week, I'm like, I'm so excited for them. I'm like, I've got to go. I've got to go surprise them at work. I've got to go celebrate them. I've got to go support them. So I show up to Five Guys. I'm like, hey, Colin and Griffin. And they're like, no, I don't know this guy. Like, who is this guy? Why is he talking to me? Why does he know our names? And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm a huge smile. I'm just so excited. I walk up to the counter, uh, to the cash register, and I order from the lady. I go, let me have a burger, and let me get some of those Cajun fries. Mm, so good. And she tells me the bill. I'm like, oh, that's not cheap. Um, but it's five guys. It's good. It's for my sons. It's okay. It's okay. And then there's a tip thing. And I'm like, oh, I got to tip my sons. So how would I tip them? A lot of money. I'm like, they need to know I'm their dad and I love them, right? And everyone here needs to know I'm their dad and I love them. And I, I know you're splitting the tip, but everyone will get a little piece of me. All right. And so I tip them really well. And I go and I sit down. And as I'm sitting down, they're making a bunch of burgers and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm like, I know it's five guys. It's made to order. It's not like fast food. This is taking a long time. I was like, you know what? It's their first week. They're just, they're getting used to it. I show them some grace, right? Finally, Griffin uh, packages my burger, wraps it up, puts in a bag, hands it to Colin, who's over fries. He, you know, he takes the cup of fries, puts it in, and then just like five guys, takes a scoop of fries, dumps it in. So it's like way too many fries and you can't worry about your health when you go there. And so I get back to my table, I sit down and I'm eating it and I'm just enjoying it. And I unwrap my burger and I look at it and I'm like, oh man, there's mayonnaise on this burger. I don't mind mayonnaise and sauce and stuff like that, but not straight on my burger. And I know you're like Miracle Whip or mayonnaise. We're not having that debate. It's nasty. And so, um, and so, so I'm like, I look over and it's Colin and Griffin working. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. It's their, you know, I'm just going to, 
I'm not going to worry about it. I like mayo, okay? And so I take a big bite. I'm like, mmm, mayo burger. Mmm, so good. And I, and I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. And I finish it up and I leave. And I say, bye, Colin Griffin. I don't know this guy. You know what I mean? But that's, wouldn't you do the same thing? Wouldn't you go and if you know them or you know that if a family member's working or you just know who it is, don't you be overly extravagant, show them, be overly kind, overly gracious with them? But what if you don't know anybody there? How do you react? You don't make eye contact at the cash register. Yeah, I'll take a burger and Cajun fries. Can you hurry it up? Right? Oh, tip? Yeah, maybe. Um, and then you, you wait for your burger. It's taking too long. Hey, can, what's going on with my burger? Can you hurry it up? The food comes. It's wrong. You give it back. Hey, can you fix this, please? This, uh, this is my hard-earned money. I would like for you to fix this. Now, isn't that, but here's the point of the story. Don't get hung up on you shouldn't give your food back. I give my food back when it has mayo on it, all right? So that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is we show kindness to our kind, don't we? But when it's not our kind, when it's not our type, when it's not people we like, we almost dehumanize people. We don't treat them the same way. We see them as separate. We might not see them as our anti-type, but we see them as different. And we kind of forget that they're someone's son. That's someone's daughter, right? And we don't treat them the same way. This is the point Jesus was trying to make. That just because they aren't your type doesn't mean they're not God's type. And for many of us, how different would it be if we would just expand our God box? How different would Hamilton Mill be? How different would the world be? How different would your heart be if you would just expand your God box to include those types of people. Now, listen, don't hear me. I'm not saying throw truth out the window, right? They need to repent of their sin. Like, I agree with that. Like, that's not what I'm talking about here. Don't miss the point because Jesus was full of grace and Jesus was full of truth and he, did, he married those so well. Don't miss, don't get hung up on that. We'll talk about that next week. But for this week, the main point Jesus is trying to make is expand your God box. Expand your God box. Because here's the problem. And I'm included. Many of us, we're more like the Pharisees than we'd like to admit. I know they get a bad rap, but think about it. Have you counted someone else out? Because Jesus didn't. Heath was full of grace and he was also full of truth. But you might just need to think about how small your God box is. Because you see, when Paul, what Paul told Timothy really hits this point home. He says, God, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All people. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the truth that Paul is telling Timothy. That Jesus died for every single person on this world. And that's what Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what God is like and who God's like. That he was coming to die for not just the godly people. Not just the Ned Flanders. Not just the types of people we thought God only likes. But every single type of person. And Jesus did that by illustrating it this way. He received the outcasts, right? Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He was a political outcast. The prostitute who washed Jesus' feet, she was a sexual outcast. The Samaritan woman, right? She was a mixed race. She was a racial outcast. For your Harry Potter fans, think of it as a muggle. 
you know what I mean? All right. For, um, for he touched lepers and he embraced the poor, all social outcasts. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to shift what's called their moralistic paradigm, which we all have. We all have this moralistic paradigm where we view the world as good and bad. There's good people in the world. There's bad people in the world. And the problem with the world is the bad people. And many of us wouldn't say this out loud, but we think this. If people would just see the world the, the, with the way I see right and wrong the way I do, we could all just get along. Everything would be fine. Here's the problem. Every single person in this room has a different moralistic paradigm. I have a different moralistic paradigm than you. All of us do. The person sitting next to you. And so there's no way to ever make that happen. This is why Jesus had to come to give us one final moralistic paradigm. Because you see, for me, for most of my life, I would have been on the Pharisee side. I would have been the person who counted people out. Now, I believe that everyone would be accepted by, by God, but not really. Like I would pray for them and I would, but I was like, not that person. There's no way. Oh, look at them. I mean, look at the way they're acting. Look at their life. That, there's no way that God would ever accept them, but I'll pray for them, but no expectation for them to be, to choose to follow Jesus or for God to pursue them. There's, there's no way. It wasn't until this moment when I read these three stories together that God started expanding my box. And I started seeing people so differently in a way that saying everybody is someone's son and someone's daughter, that every person is someone who God's love, that every type of person is who Jesus came for. And then there was this moment I went to a conference and Brene Brown was speaking. She's an author. And she said this quote that shook me to my core, that showed me what I needed to do in order to expand my God box. She said this, people are hard to hate close Move in. Move in. It's easy to keep people at a distance, isn't it? It's hard to move in. Proximity creates tension. But regardless of their finances, their background, their ethnicity, their theology, we need to move in because that's what the gospel compels us to do. And if you have not fully grasped the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for each and every single person and came back to life so we could have a relationship with our heavenly father, here's the problem. You're going to return to being condescending, to being judgmental. And you know where that leads, right? Joylessness. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're going to be angry anytime you look at those types of people. And that's not what Jesus commanded us to live. He came to show us what a free life looked like. And so let's not be that group of people. Instead, let's choose to expand our God box and let's grasp the gospel fully. Because if you do, then you'll understand what it means to truly live the life Jesus had. So let's be a group of people who, let's be the shoulders of God who carry the lost sheep home. Let's be a group of people who are the light or the, the lampstand, or the broom, who help lost people find God. Because see, here's the thing. That was you at one time. That was me at one time. We were once lost. And someone probably counted you out of their God box. And yet, for those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room, you have him. You're with him. And so maybe you need to remember what life was like 
before Jesus. I try and remind myself of that every single day because it reminds me why we have an outward facing church. A church that is always focused on those who aren't here yet, the lost. So maybe what, maybe some of you, what we need to do is every day we need to pray for our hearts to soften and to see people how God sees them as someone's son, as someone's daughter. So we can move in regardless of their finances, their background, their ethnicity, their theology. Listen, if you're going out and spending time with someone uh, with dinner or spending time with them, does not mean you're guilty by association. Does not mean you agree with the way they parent or the way they view God or the way they view sin, their lifestyle, none of that stuff. Don't put that, put God in a box in that way. Instead, see yourself as how you used to be. Lost. And now you're found. You're someone who Jesus came for. Here's the thing. Another thing that might help you with this is not just pray for a heart, for like a heart like God to see people as sons and daughters, but also pray for patience. Now, I'm a side note, this is dangerous. When you pray for patience, you don't just go, I got patience, God, woohoo, right? It's not like that. He gives you opportunities to garner patience by putting you in situations. Ooh, and that is rough. But let me tell you, that is one of the best ways to expand your God box. To move in close, to understand how God sees people, how he sees you. And so let's be a group of people who expand our God box to include ourselves in it and to include everyone else in it. And when you do this, you'll see every single person as infinitely valuable. Here's the other thing you'll see yourself as infinitely valuable. And that will shake you to your core because then you're not living for acceptance. You're living from acceptance. And some of you in here needed to hear that moment because for you, your problem is your God box is too small, not because you're not allowing other people to be in it, but you've counted yourself out. And you're saying, God doesn't like me because of what I do or who I am or what I've done. And just like the two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, did you notice the shepherd pursued the sheep? The woman pursued the lost coin. If that's illustrating God, that means he's pursuing after you and you know it. Something's stirring in you right now. And you're feeling like, I need God. I've included myself out. I need to expand my box to include myself. And because here's the thing, he loves you. Not because of what you do, not because of what you've done or will do, just simply because he's pursuing you. He's that type of God. And so for you this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to receive that. So for once and for all say today, I am including myself in God in my God box so that I know I am infinitely valuable and my heavenly father loves me and sent Jesus to die for me. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus to make him king over your life. Because when you do this, oh, it's incredible. You start, you, you get two gifts. Number one, you get to be forever with God in heaven when you die, for all of eternity. And then the second gift, you receive his spirit living inside of you right now, reminding you how infinitely valuable you are every single day. And it gives you the courage to keep going, the wisdom to keep going, the patience to keep going, the love to keep going, to help you expand your God box. And the way we're gonna do this, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer. There's no specific words, like I just make up words, not make up words, but I use specific words, but there's no power in those words that changes you. It's more the posture of your heart. 
And so what I'm going to ask everybody to do is if you, uh, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you want to pray this prayer and you've never received Jesus and chosen to surrender your life to him, I want you to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Help me to expand my God box to include myself because I know you do. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose from the grave. I want to make him Lord over my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for helping me turn to you. And thank you for Jesus. Now, with all eyes closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer and you just chose to give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus, I would love to know just to celebrate with you. So if you did that, I'm gonna count to three. Would you open your eyes and raise your hand so I can see you? One, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you guys. I see you. Awesome, I see you, I see you. you. Heavenly Father, thank you for new people who realize they're in the God box, that you are their type. They were the lost coin. They were the lost sheep. And now they're a part of your family and they're gonna spend eternity with you forever and with the rest of us who are followers of Jesus. Father, help them continue to expand your God box. In fact, I pray that for all of us. Help every single one of us to expand our God box, to include those types of people who we normally wouldn't have, who we normally wouldn't associate with. But you came for them also. Thanks for helping us realize that today. In Jesus' name, amen.